Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are here live from World Headquarters, the H2O Podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And we've got storms here, rain and thunder and lightning and such. Bit of a pause right now. Yeah, for now. We'll see how long it lasts. So the the air conditioner behind me has got a metal cowl on the outside of uh the apartment. Uh, And so when we get like really, really heavy rain, I get this lovely pattery rattery noise that uh uh is always entertaining so if we get that and and you hear some fun background noise it's probably what it is well but, we will uh, we will uh alert uh moira and hamish to deal with it right well they were uh, uh there was some interesting kind of noise that the rain was making a couple hours ago that they were just like Um, Uh, they've heard rain before they're they're, you know they're not new to the world but uh it was just like it was it was a sort of it was a strange kind of sound it wasn't normally what you'd expect to hear but you know cool why not new things new things uh speaking of new things we've got a new dune adaptation coming last week uh last week we talked about that we talked about expectations we talked about uh the hype over everything and initial initial word on numbers coming in in terms of of box office from because it's opened overseas right i think it's what in uh, uh, 2022 markets right now or something yeah and like it's that? it's already in what 36 30, 40 million something 30, like I think that I saw so 36.8 right yeah. which is which is all things considered considering the international market and where it's opened that's pretty good numbers so far that's not yeah. that's not like you know blow it out of the ballpark numbers uh but it's pretty decent um and we'll you know we'll see what that translates into i guess from for some of the markets it's open really strong historically for those markets which is great um but we talked about the fact that of course it's only part one right of uh, and the second part has not actually been greenlit by the studio and that's uh, going to because, depend on how well it does so I, you because know, they're schmucks yeah <laughs> It almost it almost makes me wonder. I I I have to wonder at the strategy for that because, as we know from stories we've heard before about other projects, when there is a change of executive leadership mm-hmm. at a studio, and you have a project that goes through and is either good or bad or indifferent and it does well or not um there seems to be the the office politics on steroids at some of these things where where one one of one executive doesn't want the other one to get the credit if they're not there anymore and i'm hoping that that doesn't factor in here i haven't seen i, I mean with as much as as we've seen with um 
executive turnover at a lot of these studios now. I mean, Paramount was the latest one where we had where we had all sorts of of changeover last right. week, I think, and it looked like it was going into a big focus on Paramount Plus, the streaming stuff. And if the Warner Discovery merger uh, clears all of the inspections and the regulatory stuff in the in the government, then one could assume that they're going to be focused similarly on streaming. And Dune is not a streaming movie, at least not initially, because of the way it's the way it's been right. produced. You you need to see it on the screen, and and day and date tends to hurt the kind of movies that you need to see on screen. So right. I I hope there's not any office politics sabotage going on. The, I the, suspect what's going on here is um, another version of the ridiculous song and dance routine we get with su- female-led superhero movies. It's mm. the studio looking at past performance of something that is not an apples-to-apples comparison yeah. and going, these are two apples. And you're like, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's okay, a, a film that came out 20 years ago in a completely different market and in a completely different environment for what things does not equate to something now. Well, it doesn't, I mean, it, but that's, but, but again, we come back to the reminder that studios are essentially designed to be money making enterprises. Yeah. And there is a, um, there are exceptions, of course, but pretty traditionally, um, People don't stay rich by throwing money into a hole. <laughs> and that makes them very paranoid when it comes to productions like, like, you know, something that you've got the history of uh, in the adaptations um, or the perceived history. Because really, we only had one movie right. based on Dune to compare it to. But there, I think there's still just this... Oh well, the David Lynch version didn't. Oh, guys, it was a different time and a different place, and it was a different thing. And you're not thinking about this, you know. But at the same time, and this and this is a is a good way to segue into our topic for tonight. At the same time, there are a lot of people who, over the years, have come to the conclusion that Dune was not a movie that you, not a movie you can make. It's such right. a dense book. You can't do it justice in an hour and a half, 2 hours. And when people, you know, I mean, how many different times was it attempted before David Lynch did it? And and when we heard David Lynch is doing Dune, it was do you think he can? You know, is is that even possible? And and he did it, but not very well. And you know, even you know, the Sci-Fi Channel even did did their, their attempt, and it was okay. But and I enjoyed I enjoyed both their miniseries I did versions too. of Dune. I think that they they took some stylistic choices that I think, in context of a lot of it, came down to budget. Yeah. Um, and and they made some casting choices that I don't think um, I can't remember the name of the actor who played Paul, uh, but um, wasn't it McAvoy? 
no. Um, um, now McAvoy was in Children of Dune. McAvoy was in Children of Dune. He was he was uh, Leto the second. Um, Alex, Alec, Alex something. Anyway, um, but he was too old for the part. Um, he's Paul is. Uh, in, in fact, Kyle MacLachlan, uh, while not particularly old at the time, um, and it was his first feature, uh, was is strictly speaking too old for the part and looks too old for the part. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, uh, Timothy Chalamet is in appearance looks the right age. And I think there's there's some important things that, that I think that at least, again, I haven't yeah. seen it. Alec at least, Newman. Thank you. Alec is, Newman. Is the, is the young man's name. Of course, You're not that young name. now, but... Um, the... Uh, um, Villeneuve, if nothing else, the visuals are impressive at this point. Yeah, uh, and and so the casting, the casting of the film looks really remarkable and and, and really impressive. So uh, hopefully Tom, that translates into Thomas in the chat says I'll probably see it on HBO Max. You know, I mean, I there are going to so, be people who do that, and and I guess that's fine if that's what you want to do. I I I have a tendency to agree with Villeneuve and Christopher Nolan and Patty Jenkins to a certain extent where they're sitting there saying, you know, these these epic blockbuster movies, the smaller films, if you're doing smaller budget, 20, 20 million, 30 million dollar little romantic comedy types of things where you don't have a lot of spectacle, mm-hmm. okay, Spy movies, maybe, or, you know, those kinds of stories where there's not a lot of real over-the-top visuals. Okay, watch it at home. But there are certain films, there are certain stories that deserve to be seen on the big screen, whether it's a regular movie theater or if it's IMAX. And even though I'm sitting here in the basement rather comfortably... And am less inclined to get out amongst anybody for any reason at all. Dune is one of those films that I would probably consider go and going and seeing in the movie theaters. Uh, Dune you, and, are... and Ghostbusters. Those are the two that I'm thinking. Okay, I'll 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 bite the bullet and step out and go do it. And I, I, I really do understand a lot of people having this, you know, where I've got a, I've got a giant TV at home. I mean, yeah. you know, I've got a, you know, my, my, the monitor that I'm looking into here is big. I mean, it's, I've had, I've had televisions in my life that are smaller than this computer monitor. Uh, and, and then there's the one over here, which is just as big. And yeah. the TV in the other room is twice the size. I mean, I got big screens but having seen lawrence of arabia on the big screen yes having having sat in a movie theater and watched das boot on the big screen and felt claustrophobic because Mm. that film Mm -hmm. is great at it oh yeah um you know seeing star wars or, or raiders of the lost ark or um uh just some of these or 2001 Uh, Casablanca on the big screen there's just something about having that experience and I think that in in the 
with the last year and three quarters now um where you know that's hasn't been a thing that a lot of us felt comfortable doing um or or, or we haven't been allowed open. to do right yeah. um the I, I i get the hesitancy and and certainly you know i mean with delta and the other you know all everything going on you, it, there's there's if you're concerned about health reasons like i completely understand that well, but, Tom, Thomas makes another point. He says, when going to a good theater with excellent seats for a long movie is a trek, streaming is an option. Because I can understand that if if you've got to go a, you've got to go a distance to get to a good movie sure. theater. Okay, I, I I get that. I'm not I'm not going to format shame anybody here for how yeah, they watch well, their movies. Yeah, there's I'm nothing just gonna, wrong saying with that, watching it at home. But. No, but and and especially if you know, if quite frankly, if if you've got health concerns or, or you're, you're concerned about the people and other people in the theater being healthy by all means, stay safe. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm with you in the sense that if I, if the opportunity is there, um, you know, we're, we haven't shut down again or anything like that right now. So, which is great. Um, I w I want to see something, especially, I mean, you and I talked about the fact that you're not much of an IMAX viewer. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of IMAX, but I'm, this is one I'm going to try and check out in IMAX. Yeah. Uh, and well, it's not so much that I'm not a fan of IMAX. It's, I really can't sit and watch an IMAX because of my vertigo. So, right. you know, it's just one of those things, but it does raise the, raise the point about certain things being unfilmable. And it, 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 yes, you're going to try to get this thing, this epic sweeping story on a screen, and hope, hopefully it actually works. And there are some other stories where people have sat there and said, there's no way you're going to make it. There's no way you're going to do this adaptation. There's absolutely no possible way on earth that you can adapt this for a film or a TV yet, show. We're getting another one. It's called Foundation, which is another story set of stories that was described yeah. has been described as being unfilmable, um, because in many respects it's not a single story. Right. It's a whole bunch of short stories that tell a story over a really long period of time. Yeah, it's an arc of vignettes, almost. You know, and I think that there's there's a there was a mindset for a very long time that there's not a there wasn't a through line you could actually turn this into a narrative thing, but you look at what has changed over the last say five years mm -hmm. with how content is being produced and where it's being produced and at the scale it's being produced for streaming services for television. Right. for your cable services and things like that, uh, your HBOs. And and some of the things that get in the way of adapting, quote-unquote, unadaptable film or stories, a, a lot of it is length. It's length and detail. And I think that, so I've, part of me is like going, okay, if I were a studio and I looked at Dune, come, Dune comes out and it doesn't make enough money to make Warner Brothers, you know, happy and, and they go, we're not doing part two. Yeah. If I was another streaming service, 
if I was Amazon or or Netflix, I'd be going, Villeneuve, come here. Let's do it as a miniseries. Let's let's pick it up and, and do it as as a you know, and let's do the the remaining let's do part two is six episodes, and then let's talk about Dune Messiah. Yeah. Right? And because the scale has changed for what we're doing, now he would probably sit there and go, Okay, did you hear my conversation about the big screen? <laughs> did you hear? Were you there? And they're gonna be like, Do you well, want to finish it? And he'll be like, Curse you, harsh reality. The other <laughs> the other possibility is you get another studio like Universal, which just snapped up Christopher Nolan. Right. Because Nolan is done with Warner Brothers right now. He's he's so irritated and annoyed with them. He he took his project elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's entirely possible that you could run into something like that too. Yeah, but I, I think the the and and that would actually be preferable and for sure from Villeneuve's point of view. But one of the things that that we have seen happen, and and a lot of this has come out of this idea of we can do adaptations of books for TV now. Yeah. And however you feel about Game of Thrones. It was successful overall in bringing big budget fantasy to television to, to you know the the television right. model in a way that just hadn't been done before, and it opened the door. Now I'm not going to say hasn't been done before because Farscape. Where's my Farscape <laughs> revival? Um, but the fact that you know you've got something like. Um, uh, like that you've got things that are you know you're getting however you feel about you know lord lord of the rings spin-offs or or things like that um i think my biggest concern on the lord of the rings prequel is that they're going to try to make it uh, like game of thrones i mean we we've heard the the biggest the biggest and of course all of its rumor at this point but right. when Amazon hires an intimacy coordinator for Amazon, you know, for some whatever the project is, and, it, and the code word, and everybody had deciphered this is this is the Lord of the Rings project, and their casting call includes must be comfortable with nudity, and we're just like, hold on, we're not, are we talking about Tolkien still? Because that's not Tolkien. And I think some of the unfilmable aspects of some of this stuff is not necessarily that you can't do it in a certain way, certain method, technology, or whatnot. But if you do it, you need to be faithful to the source material. Otherwise, why even bother? And the unfilmable part could also apply to, well... We've got to tell this story, but we want to tell it in a different way. Well, or, then, or then you're, you're not you're even almost, telling the story. Or you're almost forced to tell it in a different way because it's it's the story structure, however the original source material is set up, yeah. doesn't translate well. And, okay, so... You never know with, with, with how people feel about Zack Snyder. Um, but... When he did Watchmen, um, he did a fairly good job of adapting Watchmen 
into a movie. Yeah. That it, was relatively, that was pretty faithful. Um, a little too faithful at times, but that was sort of his, his sort of his style as he kind of takes an image from the comic and reproduces it on the screen. Sure. And sometimes that's, that's a little, sometimes that doesn't work as well as you think it would. Um, because it ends up with some stylistic slow motion choices that, you know, it's part yeah. of his style. That's fine. However, however you feel about that. But overall, it's a pretty faithful adaptation. And the main story is intact. The main uh, a significant chunk of the character development is intact. Uh, the ending is changed. Spoiler alert. Um, but it changed in a way that kept the point of the ending. The details are different. The point is the same. Right, because you um, have another, you have an entire other story thread that's in the book that's not in the movie. Well, you've got right. two others, because you have the island and all of mm -hmm. the stuff that's going on there. But and that's you, completely gone. That's a, that, that that was never filmed. Yeah, and then you have the black, the black sail. You know, the, the black freighter. The yeah, black freighter. So there's two other story threads, and I think really, Watchmen proves what I was saying about Green Lantern. Because Watchmen takes one story. We're going to tell one story, and that's all we're going to focus on. Green Lantern tried to tell three. And it was like, you can't do it. Because well, you try to do too much. And some of these stories, like like Foundation, I think that's one of the, one of the things that maybe uh, could be a potential pitfall, is... If there's so much material, it's so dense, and it's done, you know, it's written out a certain way, you have, is it worth making the attempt if you, if you have to change it so much? Well, so, well, I think that, and there's times you can look at something and say, and I've mentioned this before quite a bit, um, you can get an adaptation where where something has been made mm -hmm. and you're like, you've made a really interesting, good, entertaining movie. That's a terrible adaptation of the source material. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I still want my prestige 10 episode, uh, 12 episodes, if you want to be completely faithful, but I'd say 10 episodes to, to tighten it, um, V for Vendetta. Because sure. while the while the film is very entertaining, and I think it's it's a it's a very worthwhile story in, in what they've done, um, and it's got a huge fan base, which is I mean it's it's a good movie. It's not a good adaptation. It loses it loses the politics and the social commentary and all the things that Alan Moore was like. No, really, I wrote this story this way for a reason mm -hmm. because it's the time and the place and my world. And this is I'm doing I'm, I'm making comments about the world like science fiction a lot of times does. Right. Makes comments about the world they're living in, but doing it through, you know, the medium of, of this story. Which he does in a lot of his work, which is, you know, part of the reason he's not a fan of Hollywood because <laughs> uh, they don't they don't do that well with his material or other people's material sometimes yeah. too but but you look at some of these things where <clears throat> that's an example of you could make that but you'd have to do it as something like an episodic thing because that way you can dive into the the detail work and week by week an audience will consume that 
right. in a way that they wouldn't consume it in a movie theater. Some of these things, it, it, you know, if you're kind of have to ask yourself, can you do can can you do it here? Can you do it here? Can you do it here? Can you do it as does if you're limiting it to a movie? Yes, no. Can it be done? You're limiting it, to, and especially now. Yeah. Are you limiting it to TV? Are you limiting it to a miniseries? Are you limiting to it as streaming series? I think the other How... part, the other part of that that factors into it is from a technology standpoint with the volume, for example, like what they're using for the right. you know the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and Obi Wan Kenobi and all of those, where you have this this studio with a game engine and the whole thing is this big giant surround you know surround screen lcd led panel Mm -hmm. and you can create whatever environment you want and be in that environment and actually interact with it and change it and you can see it and there's not blue screen or green screen that opens up a number of possibilities as well that we didn't have four or five years ago and there's there's stuff right now that i think that that uh I would have said a few years ago would be really, really hard to pull off mm-hmm. uh, for budgetary reasons um, that I think that that really takes away a lot of that concern because you can really reproduce a lot of stuff that you don't and still have that sort of real environment feel. I'm I there's things now and, and some things have changed. Uh, Dan Simmons Hyperion series. Right. So if you're if basically and 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 this is where studios get all itchy. It's the Canterbury Tales in space. <laughs> that's 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 an apt description. One of April, with and so you just you you just watched a studio executive go, oh god, no mm. one's going to watch that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but yeah. it's the Canterbury Tales in space with a murder monster, and you're <laughs> like. You should have led with the murder monster. But it's also, it's, you couldn't, I mean, doing it as a feature film would be, you'd, you'd butcher the story because there's so much going on right. in these two novels that condensing even, even if, even if you did what, what they're doing with Dune and did the first one, there are, what, eight main characters. They, they aren't, these are your two leads and here's the, no, there are eight main characters. Right. And they are all with with full stories, and you only get, I think, five of their stories told in the first book, and so you're like, you know, it 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 would have to be, it's another one, you know, give me ten episodes and spread it out, and uh, and then give us all nightmare fuel because the Shrike is one of the it's one of those great science fiction monsters, that's essentially it's a horror it's a horror film monster in a science fiction story and it's take alien the alien and then um sprinkle in a little, little bit of the thing a little bit um and then have it basically be standing behind you all the time and except it's not there but it could be there and it was at the place it was at the house next door last night and everyone there's dead now. Mm. It, it might be in your house tonight. Um, oh, and it can go anywhere in the universe. Have fun. I mean, that's the kind of paranoia fuel that you're you're building into this. 
I'm just like, you've got it. You've got to have the space to make that story breathe. Yeah. And I would say up until about, uh, you know, up until maybe five years ago, I would have said, good luck. But the thing is, um, Dan Simmons, the author, he had an A&E series. The Terror oh, is an adaptation of one right. of his novels. Yeah. And it was a so much of a success. It got a spinoff second season that that he that wasn't that was that was new story. It wasn't based on anything that he'd written, but A and E did it with, with a period piece, Arctic adventure horror story. That it's like okay, they spent money on that. They had a great cast. The the effects were fantastic. Um, so it can be done. It can be done. So, so that that kind of thing. That's a technology issue. That's a right. That's a technology and formatting issue. So but let me ask you. Stuff, so let me ask you this: Given how technology has advanced and progressed up to now, and now that we have all of this digital stuff and all this gaming, we have studio, the toys. We have the toys. Um, we have the technology. We can rebuild them. Rendezvous with Rama. Do you think that okay. could ever get done? So here's the, here's the frustrating thing about Rendezvous with Rama, and this is this is a good entry point for some other stuff I want to, some other cons, titles I want to bring up. So Rendezvous with Rama is a 2001 style story. It doesn't. It's not action packed. Right. It's thinking person and, and this is this this is a phrase that's loaded uh because people don't get it they don't know they, they, sometimes they, they think of this as, as as sort of a um i don't know snobbishness thinking man science fiction you snobbish <laughs> I'm, very, I'm well known for my snobbery <laughs> um but it's you know, thinking man science fiction right it's it's it's, it's not it's not ac action-packed, yeah. you know, spaceships, ray guns, and and you know, uh, jetpacks. It's it's a considered beginnings. Not even the not even the complete exploration of an alien spaceship traveling through the solar system. It's about the science. It's about the 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 you know the the team of the people who are exploring this. As much as, but even then, it's not the characters aren't that important. It's this, you know, you could you could create the sense of scale visually now. Yeah, you could create you could you could probably get if, if done with the right director, get that sense of awe. Um, but you're not looking at the kind of story that's going to have like you know this these action packed sequences. There's not a lot of that in Rendezvous with Rama. There's some of that stuff in the later books. But the later books are also a very, very different tone. But you'd still have to do Rendezvous with Rama to get to those later books. If you want to build up some sort of, you know, big franchise with this. Sure. And this comes to the question of how much how much do you have to change it to sell that to a studio? <laughs> and then is it Rendezvous with Rama when you're done? Yeah. And Morgan Freeman, you know, he has a little bit of clout. Ben, he's, he's, he's had, you know, a, a few hits how over long, time. How long has he had the rights to that? 
I don't know if he still has, but he had him for a long time and he tried, he'd been trying really, really hard. Now, I think a lot of it ran into the fact that the technology wasn't there or, or the expense to do what they wanted to do was going to be so great. Um, But now that might, that certainly I think is, is within the realm of possibility. On the other hand, he wanted to star in it and he's, um, he may have aged himself out of uh, the, his, what he wanted to do with it. So, uh, but I, that's that's one where I think that again it might be better served going to. But what if if he's too old, they can always de-age him because we do have that technology now too. Yes, and we're still in Uncanny Valley for a lot of it. Rendezvous um, with Rama, with Easy Reader. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> I, if it gets made, if he, well, and the thing is, is no. that he loves the book. Yeah. That's always been one of the things. It's like he's really, he really just thinks that it, it it should be done in a certain way, which is great. This is this is important uh, for some of these things. But I think I think that would be one of those things where you would go, okay, Netflix, you know, give me six episodes. I think I think it could, I think it could be done, and I think, but it, I think it could be done as a feature film. I think you could do that kind of thing with that scale, but it would also be a risk for a studio in the sense that you would know going in that you're getting a much slower paced movie. Right. And I think that that's a, that's a tough sell for a studio. They're, they're, you know, again, we come back to the fact that they're, they want to make money. And while those, while those stories exist, Villeneuve, quite frankly, has built a career on them. Um, And, and maybe, maybe Morgan Freeman should be talking to, Villeneuve because he would actually be an, I, based on what I've seen so far and what he appears to be doing with Dune I think he would be an excellent choice to try and do Rendezvous with Rama yeah I, I think so uh, I would say either Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan won either, either one of them would probably have the chops to, to do it the only problem with Nolan is that we wouldn't be able to hear the dialogue <laughs> well there is that but I'm bump up all right I'm so, not finding anything recent. Yeah, I mean, on, it's, on any of this. And there's probably there, you know, there's a certain amount of frustration level after a while. I mean, you keep trying to get it done, and it's just not gonna, it's just not happening. Yeah, I mean, I'm finding um, stuff from 2012, 2013, uh, but nothing, nothing recent. Well, and I think that really this sort of, this sort of, uh, you know, we've seen so much change in the technology over the last. You know, again, five years. There's, five years has really been sort of the, uh, and and to be honest, the last year has pushed a lot of studios and and production companies to co- consider how they're doing things. Yeah, uh, just led to some stuff. Um, and I think that there's some things we need to you know to look at stuff like the Sandman, which we're getting a series um, for a long time was considered unfilmable because right. you couldn't you know there the the it's dreamscapes. It's it's the unreality of the story that works on the comic book page, but now they've reached the point where, um, you know, and and some of it comes out of the fact that Neil Gaiman's like, but note, we did good omens, and they're like, so you did, and he's like, give me even more money. They're like, okay, but the road to getting that miniseries, yeah, it has been, you know, what uh, he famously said that he read a script. Um, where um, 
he hated it just i mean he just thought it was the one of the worst things he'd ever seen uh and ever read and just completely butchered his story um and and then there was you know there have been other attempts to get it made so i mean some of this stuff again the technology helps but then you're into something like um the book of leaves which is this if i can uh, uh where i got it here I think um, I've heard you mention that one before. So Mark Z. Daniel S. Daniel 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 Lusky wrote this book called The House of Leaves, mm-hmm. and it's about this thick, and it is nightmare fuel all the way down. Right? It right. is. It is. Uh, it's about a, a family. It's about a house um, where. The guy and the, the the husband ends up measuring the walls and discovers that there's a discrepancy between the size of the house from the inside and the size of the house from the outside. Mm. And then he measures it again, and the numbers are different. Then they discover there's a basement they didn't know about. And it keeps going down. And it keeps going down. And then there's another story about a guy who's reading a a, a paper written about a documentary series made about the house. And he's an unreliable narrator. Well, you've also got the story of the expedition into the basement that never ends and the stairs that continue to go down and what seems to live in that space and then it's all built around a book where the text is part how the text is used is part of how the story unfolds so you might have an entire page where it's all black except for one word or there's only one word on a page or all the text is in a spiral right or um there is a, you know, every 20 pages, there's one word in a different color. There's so many things going on with the with the way the book is physically constructed in as you are reading it in your hands. You'd have to figure so out a, visu- a, a way to visually interpret all of that. Yeah, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 in the standard way of not in the standard way of translate qualifier not in the standard way of translating a novel to screen now he has said it's never going to happen he's not in he's been approached people have come to him and said we want to buy the rights to this book to make a make tv and movies and he says no because quite frankly he doesn't think any of what they would do would make it work it took him years and years and years to write the thing and he is not interested. He's not hurting for money. He's and he has steadfastly insisted on on not doing it. And quite honestly, I think it's the right choice. This is a book where you could tell you could make a story like it. Yeah. But you could not adapt the book because it would by the time you got an adaptation it would not be this story because and i think a large part of that is just format sure you just you can't make what 
if you're sitting in a room reading this book and you're physically interacting with the book in a certain way because of how the text is interacting with you that you can't reproduce that on the screen and you can't reproduce the feeling of the reader. Yeah. You can I, do something different that might work. Maybe you do a 3d movie. Right. So that's a, that's an extreme example, right? Yeah. Because it's been the, the format of this original story is so resistant to changing to a different medium. But then you have something like say, um, and while we found a way, there are harder nuts to crack in like Lovecraft. Right. And so at the Mountains of Madness is like this, you know, this dream project that we we hear about from time to time. Glamour del Toro, you know, we're like, yes, give him a shot and they can see what happens. But there's a sequence in that um, novella, which spoiler alert for a book that was written a hundred years ago. <clears throat> years ago yeah um we weren't around back then by the way no but every now and again <laughs> you just remind you how much you know, know uh, right so there's a sequence where our heroes and again this is this is something that runs into a lot of love crap there's no real dialogue in this in this novella um but there are ways around that we we cracked that pretty well you cracked it very well with the script Thank you. um yeah. and but there's a sequence where the the two of the characters find themselves in essentially a giant fresco uh, uh, mural display that a huge hall full of murals and and it tells the story of the inhabitants of the city and how that can be turned into a narratively dynamic thing that makes sense because there's a certain amount of hand wavium in the story where it's like, okay, alien species. Uh-huh. Don't I, speak I, in the English. I have I have an idea on that. Because if you're going with a visual like a like a mural, for example. There are movies that have taken uh liberties I guess you could say, but when, and I can't, I can't think of a specific, I, the, the, um, dark crystal series mm -hmm. did it. And a number of animated pictures will do it where you have the shadow puppet type of representation right. when they tell the tale. Right. And it's a completely mm -hmm. different animation style than anything in, in the rest of the movie. And here, here's the legend. Well, legend has it that, you know, and you have this, you know, like the paper cutout type of thing or puppets sure, or, yeah. or marionettes. So if you've got this giant mural of an unmentionable, unnameable thing, right, then what you do is you, you animate it. That's, and that's, turn it yeah. into a dynamic, a dynamic type of monster story that once it's done, you're back to the fresco and everybody's like, did I just see what I thought I saw? Did what, what, what just happened? You know, and I think, do it like I think that. that's, that's probably going to be the way that you would end up doing it. Um, and I think that's that one of the, one of the ways that that might play, but then you run into the ending mm. and this is a Lovecraft issue. This is this is a this is a this is a problem. This is this well. This is a feature and a bug. 
If you're a Lovecraft fan, it yeah. might be a feature. <laughs> if you're not a Lovecraft fi- fan, this might be the reason why is that you get to the end and a thing that is seen. What would what, you, what'd you see? I saw a terrible thing. What was it? It was a terrible thing. No, no. What, what was it? It was a thing so terrible that cannot be described. Okay, no. This is a movie. We got to tell people what it is. We have to show the picture. No, it was too terrible. Okay, now look. <laughs> you're aware you're in a film. This is a visual medium. You, well, it you do it. Be- you do it like we do. You wrap the tentacles around and and give give it the monster's point of view, and you don't show the monster. The problem is, is that in this particular case. It's he sees over the mountain range to what lies beyond. Yeah. And that what lies beyond has to have a visualization because it drives him mad. And so how do you do what's the visualization for the thing that drives you mad? Now, uh, Carpenter, John Carpenter did it with that in the Mountains of Madness, who I think he really did some of the best dance up to the edge of Lovecraftian visualizations mm. and then pull back. Right, he he gave you flashes. He gave you glimpses. Yeah, um, Event Horizon. Um, I think does a really good job of capturing Lovecraftian horror in the uh, uh, the recording that of the doomed crew, and you were just you get nightmare glimpses. And of course, this sequence was much deeper and more expanded in the original cut. And the studio said, audience test audiences were like. Oh God! I mean, they were they were they were they were upset yeah. by this sequence, so they cut it down drastically, and that original footage is all gone. Um, but but that kind of thing where you you capture a mood, um, it, it can be done. So, but I think it's really tough, and I think that's one of the things where you might end up with an ending that was a good ending for the movie, but would not necessarily be a particularly faithful ending to the story. And that's, well, it's kind of like Watchmen. I mean, you have, you have an ending that makes sense within the confines of that story that that's told in the film, Mm -hmm. but it's not consistent with what's in the book for various different reasons. The main one being that that ending is connected to an entire story thread. That's not there. Right. But with something with Lovecraft, I think given how we have the standard look for Cthulhu, for example, we know we, I mean, Cthulhu has a look. You, you, you say the name Cthulhu and and everybody knows what Cthulhu looks like. Whether he's been plush toys. Yes. Whether he's whether that's actually what he looks like or not, as described by by Lovecraft, but I think you can you can take a small amount of liberty with something like Lovecraft because he his his stories are such where you fill in the gaps with your imagination of what it could look like. Which is a pro and a con. It's a pro and a con. It, it is. Like you said, it's a feature and a bug. And with something like this, if you did the flash of things, the flashes of visuals or something, and if you're out on the horizon and you see this expanse of something out there, then 
CG being the way it is, you could do two and three and five and twisty and weird and, you know, and, uh, um, right. Escher, you know, where the, where mm-hmm. the thing kind of folds back in on itself. And, and part of the, Oh, here, 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 here we go. I, I thought of it. I thought of it. There is a photograph that makes the rounds about social media. It's a dog. And the dog has his head twisted. He's laying down. And the dog has his head twisted a certain way so that it looks like his head is on backwards. But it's just the way he's laying and his coloring and the where his ear and his nose and all of that. You have to look at this and think, what am I looking at? Because everything is so disoriented in terms of how this dog is laying on the on on the bed, on the couch or whatever, wherever he is. And you look and you have to I mean, literally, you have to go. Oh, I see it now. There's his head, you know. uh, Oh, Mm -hmm. I, uh, I see a face now. You could do something like that. Where you orient part of the body one way and part of the body a different way and, and do some twisty things and, and right. some stuff like that. But do it in do it in quick bursts. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out, extended, you know, full well, exposure. Well, that's, really that's really what Carpenter did is there's a, there's a sequence uh, where all, the, all the, the Lovecraftian beasties are chasing our hero down a corridor and you get... Yeah snapshots of the of of what's behind him and it's more about that sense of what he's being chased by and he's also primed you through the rest of the film by making you know taking you into some surreal places mm-hmm. and you could do but, you know like with lightning flashes and clouds and mm-hmm. fog and, and that sure. sort of thing sure but i think that that that's that comes down to whether or not you can pull off a visual mm-hmm. i think there's where you end up with the density of the novel and i realize that dune is an example of this but you look at like you would get coming back to Tolkien, the Silmarillion. Um, I know. Yeah. I, I. How do you? How it's it's a history book. Yeah, it's, it's not a it's, narrative. It's not really a narrative, and and yet it is. I mean, there's there's a there's a through line story because it's history. Does it has that? Yeah. But it's not a. I mean, it's it's not even a mini series. It's that doesn't ha- you you would have to create more content, mm-hmm. and I think that I think that we're, which is I think we're something we're getting with Foundation where they've they've created linking things to and and weighted certain parts of the story, which to some degree you almost have if, to, yeah. If, but if you capture. And, I th- and there's arguments to be made for that, right? Because if you capture the intent, if you capture the feeling, if you find a way to bring that story to an audience in a different way, that, there's nothing that inherently wrong with that. Yeah. But what you would have to change this to, I mean, it's it's a history book. It's not a novel. Yeah. I mean, it's fiction. It's fictional history, but. Well, it's still yeah, you're right. It's it's still disjointed to the point where it's just a collection of essays, really. I mean, it's it's an academic tome more than it is any kind of a storytelling no. medium. 
Another one you were talking about, you know, thick, dense, dense stories. I got thinking about this the other day because I'm I'm going through and I'm rereading them, the Honor Harrington books. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to David Weber about adaptations, and he's had conversations with different studios that want to do it. At one point, there was a deal in place to do something, but to me, the the challenge on that. There's a couple of things. One, your your space battles and all of your movement, your ship movements, are done over a period of weeks and months because there's time it takes time to get from one place to another. Even if you're in hyperspace, it takes time to get there. And mm-hmm. There's, you know, when you're when you're in the system and the ships are firing at each other, you know, the missiles take 19, 20 minutes, an hour to reach their target. And, you know, it's like there's no way you can film this because okay, up to a certain that, point in those stories, they don't even have uh, they don't even have faster than light communications. So a signal back and forth, eight minutes out, eight minutes back. I'm like, you have to cheat on all of that. Okay, but that that said, the expanse is an example of what people it turns out. Turns out people actually will watch a science fiction series where the science mm. is pretty accurate. So things do take time. Yeah. And I think that so the, those those again we come back to where it ends up being converted into a thing mm-hmm. that again you you treat it like you make it a mini series you don't try and put it into two or two and a half hours as much as you want to make honor and herring honor harrington into a master and commander in space which there, there's your there's your it's, movie it's uh, more horatio uh, hornblower but yeah you do well, yeah. But you well, gotta do it as a series. essentially you know yeah. you'd have um, to do it as a series right you, you would and i think that um that that's a thing I think you could do um, because we we've we've got a proven series that, that that touches on some of the same science-based issues. Yeah, but then you get into stuff where the narrator is unreliable. You look at uh, Dahlgren by Samuel R. Delaney, mm-hmm. which I read a million years ago. I read it in college. It's 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 a very surreal novel <laughs> and that's one of its strengths because it's very odd yeah but in terms of making a film of it um generally speaking i mean it's not a question of it could be done and the technology exists. You could make this, you could, I think you could adapt it visually, but I don't know that an audience would engage with it on a visual level. Right. Uh, because it would be too, I think it would be, and maybe there's a market for this. Would I think you, it would be too disorienting and conf- and, well, and it literally okay. unless it's a confusing you, novel. It would be a very confusing film. Unless you make it, Fellini style, and it doesn't have to make sense. Well, you know, like eight and a half, where it just 
is this weird stream of consciousness. We don't even know if he's awake or asleep or insane or sane or if this is really happening or if he's hallucinating this, or what. I mean, that, this would be a giant risk for a studio in terms of budget, though. I think yeah. I think you would actually you would have this would have to be somebody's passion project who who was in a big enough high enough place at a studio they were like yes we're spending 250 dollars 250 million dollars to make this movie which we are guaranteed to lose money on yeah or or everyone around him would be convinced and maybe it would turn out to be a giant blockbuster and people are like i completely embrace this craziness <laughs> um but it, i mean it, the thing is that i mean there's a story but again you have an unreliable narrator and the world they described it's like the um Oh no, the culture novels. Um, I can't remember the name. There's, there's a, a, a Sterling. S. M. Sterling. Oh, S. M. And that's not S. M. Sterling. Um, there's a series of novels uh, set in. Um, well, there's there's a there's a bunch of there's a bunch of different science fiction novels that that explore various things in terms of uh, very alien interactions with, mm -hmm. with alien species uh, again Villeneuve did it uh, in Arrival but <clears throat> that's a, that's an exception to where you have a very alien interaction with humanity and there's a couple there's um, uh, China Melville that's who it is China Melville okay. uh, has a series of books that uh, are are about this interactions in this world where you've got these different alien species living together in in this environment and there's a through line to the story uh, in, in the big picture there's each story is a complete novel and and they make sense and they're really interesting and they're really dramatic yeah. um but they're also the visualization of what you read on the page would just be crazy <laughs> and and again that doesn't mean there's not a market for it but selling it to a studio is really hard yeah um uh, but there's i mean you know stephen baxter's written some stuff that would be tough to adapt um i saw one uh, uh you, you poke around online and somebody brought up uh the gone away world by nick harkaway which is a he's a british author i highly recommend if you haven't checked out nick harkaway um He's written um, uh, that that's his science fiction with dashes of horror novel. Um, and I was like, there, there are reasons for why you couldn't make this film. I'm like, you could do that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, so, but the, the, it's like, no, they're, they're, some of these, some of these films that you see these lists or like, we could never make a film. It's like, yeah, you could. You know the 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 format has changed i think that the um the only real obstacle at this point well the two obstacles is one you can adapt anything to film yeah or tv you can you can anything but what do you have to change to make it fit that format how much does the original have to change and some of it there's there's some things you can't you can adapt but you're not gonna um later heinlein okay what's 
there's the um, you get into to sail beyond the sunset. You get into uh, um, uh, everything except the first Lazarus Long novel. <laughs> everything after that, the content mm-hmm. you are general. Um, you're not going to get a big budget. You're not going to get a studio to greenlight a big budget science fiction film where there's a lot of sex and most of the characters are related. You know, I wonder if anybody would be willing to take on Friday. So the moon is a harsh mistress Friday. Um, Methuselah's children, the first Lazarus long novel. Yeah. All three of those, I think, could make, um, and I would say, I would say, make them as six episodes or more yeah. miniseries. Mini I think series. that Friday would be the the Friday would be the closest you could do to a two hour movie, because it's got that kind of punchy pace that you could you could clip it along. Uh, but the other ones, you'd want to have the world building room to breathe. I think right. Um, well, Friday, you also you also had the the added bonus of a a female lead. I mean, she's she's not quite a Ripley type, but you know, it's it's in that. I mean, she's in that mode. Right. You know, Lara Croft, Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor type. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's an opportunity there, and you're it's it's already built into the book strong female lead so you don't have to do a bunch of changing of things in order to pander to whatever interest group that is going to you've got to satisfy now but well, then I, you still I would, you still have to convince the studio that a well, strong that's female true. lead a strong female lead in a science fiction film is a thing that works but it does well of course it does yeah. but studios are studios supergirl shaped superhero movies for decades and Catwoman, we can't forget Catwoman. It's not Helen Slater's fault. No, it's not. But I think I think that there's um, there's stuff that you can you, there's you're just going to stay away from. I mean, you're you're not going to. I mean the the core through line to Sail Beyond the Sunset is time travel and incest. I mean, you're not going to. That's not going to get made by a studio, guys. It doesn't matter how much of a big Heinlein fan you are. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and and that's fine. I'm there, good with that. There are other stories to tell. There well, are other stories to tell. Now you talk, you you look at this stuff. I mean, Stranger in a Strange Land. You could do it, but would you want to? And and there have been attempts. Tom Hanks was attached <laughs> for a long time to be yeah. Valentine Michael Smith in that film. I but, can't see that. I cannot see that at all. Well, it was younger Tom Hanks, obviously. Um, but here's the thing. Well, you know, this is this is this is during the time when Michael Keaton was, you know, Michael Keaton is Batman. Are you insane? Yeah. Right. So I could see it being done. It would it would have I think it would have really changed the course of his career or at least or at least people would have looked at him as a different kind of actor if he'd made that film. Right. Um, which is fine because he went from being, you know, everyone considered him a comedic actor just as comedies. Then he's like. Yeah, may I introduce you to my dramatic abilities? Um, and <laughs> he's done pretty well with that, right? Right. But it's another one where the 
pace of the novel and how it unfolds is a challenge for making it into a story, modern story film structure, mm-hmm. right? Right. But also, it's really a product of its time. It is. And I think that to adapt it to a modern audience's sensibilities would change a lot of the dynamic character dynamics in the novel. Um, a lot of the female characters are basically, oh, why, yes, this is my secretary. <laughs> this is this is one of the women who work for me. You know, it it it's when he was writing. It was the world that he was writing the novel in. I mean, it was the world that he was living in, right? Yeah, but they are rather capable te- sure. on 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 technology and and technical skills as well. Well, and that's so. kind of the it's kind of the point of the. But you would have to. It it's a period piece mm-hmm. set in the future. Yeah. And that's where that. we run into the one of the adaptation <laughs> problems with it is that it's retro sci-fi, and there's a place for retro sci-fi. And quite frankly, I think a really cool retro sci-fi, you know, give give me jetpacks and ray guns, give do, me well, Buck Rogers. That's what you do. That's what you do. You you make it a 1930s serial, Stranger in a Strange Land. You know, because then it's I, that, a period that, piece made as a period piece. That potentially could work quite well. Getting a studio to sit there and go, yeah, yeah. We saw how they were with John Carter. <sighs> well, and, and and of course, the comic book industry is so big right now in 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 you know films. But there are there are comic adaptations that you know you're. Uh, not every not every comic book series is going to adapt well to film. I mean, right. the relative success of Watchmen and V for Vendetta um, and From Hell, you know, there's there's been successful air quotes adaptations of Alan Moore stories, and Alan Moore hates them with a with a with a burning rage um and and quite frankly their watchman is a decent adaptation but v for Vendetta again yeah good movie bad adaptation from hell is a dumpster fire of an adaptation um it's got well it's got the name and the basic premise just like league of extraordinary gentlemen has the name and the basic premise they're terrible adaptations, both of which could have, well, From Hell would have to be a miniseries because it's too much. Right. Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you could do the first six issues as a movie if you type, tightened it up. But um, And they but were going to com- do a series at one point and then mm-hmm. not. Well, but the thing is, is that we got that. We, we got that. We got it was Penny Dreadful. Yeah. And the first two seasons of Penny Dreadful are essentially um, what what you want League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to be. Um, but there, were, there was that one that we never got it, and uh, and and Pern, the Dragon Riders of Pern. See, and I don't think you could do Dragons Dragon Riders. I mean, maybe now that we've gone through with dragons and Game of Thrones. And the C- the CG, but those stories again are really really dense. There's a lot of things happening, multiple storylines, lots of world so building. much world building. Yes, 
I don't I don't know that you could do it. I think you could I think you could if you sat there and went we're making it we're, we're committed to 12 episodes. Each episode is you know x million dollars. Yeah. Um and and we we lean into the world building and we And there was a time there was a time the big argument was you audiences don't want well okay there's still a time audiences don't want dot 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 mm, mm-hmm. yeah and it turns out a lot of people actually do want dot 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 yeah because there's so many different outlets now that you're going okay this niche market niche market of 10 million people <laughs> a lot of people folks um you know they're gonna watch our they're gonna watch our streaming series on you know netflix or whatever you know they might not watch it all the week that it comes out but they're gonna over time we'll get those 10 million viewers you know that that's how they're thinking now sci-fi snap says tim's right i don't want dots i want good story <laughs> no kidding <laughs> The right? problem is, is that for some of this stuff, yeah, I, there, I mean, there's, we're at the point now where the technology exists for most of the things that got would get in the way, right? Uh, in terms mm. of the visual thing. I mean, Pern, Pern's an example of we can, yes, we can have flying dragons now. We can make this visually, we can make this work. Yeah. But it comes down to the story and how how much you're willing to make the source material be there there are a lot of secondary and tertiary characters that would be given short shrift i think which happens i mean that happens in a lot of adaptations and and whether or not that matters to the story yeah it's gonna that's going to depend on the story obviously but yeah well and and stom makes a good point they have to make it work for a reasonable price because you know budgets being the way they are and especially you know nowadays with lockdown and and anything that goes to the movies the movie theaters you know like we were talking about at the beginning of the show with dune and and looking at performance there compared to we've spent 200 some odd thousand you know 200 some odd million dollars on this thing it has to make 500 before we break even type right. type of situation i think those days are gone at least for the next five years there, there's some of that in, and i think that as we move as we blur the distinction between theatrical and streaming for good and for ill right and, and some of this stuff moving into the series format. And the British have been doing this for a while right now. Yeah. So there's this, we, we've seen this really change. You and I, growing up in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, we've seen this really happen. There was a time when if you were a television actor, that's your box. Yeah. If you're a film actor, that's your box. And if you if you had to go from a film actor to television, my goodness, terrible shame what happened to his career. Yeah. She used to be somebody. Um, <laughs> now they move back and forth much more fluidly. 
British audiences are much, much more familiar with that because that was the British film industry is much smaller. So TV and film and stage were much more of a revolving door for people doing stuff, which is, which frankly worked out well for them. And we've come across and, and that's become where we're moving to now overall, because mm-hmm. we see a lot of fantastic actors who are doing television and television actors who are seamlessly moving to film and back again. Um, so the idea that some of this stuff, some of this really dense material can't be done because it's super dense. Well, you know, you've got shows like the expanse where they take an entire season to adapt one book. Right. And, you know, I think more, more than, more than anything else you have, (sighs) excuse me, you have a couple of things. Is there a studio willing to do it? And is that studio willing to put the money in that needs to be there for something long, drawn-out, expansive, dense, story-wise? I don't know. Well, that and, and being willing to... You have to be willing to trust your audience with it, too. Not, not only that, you have to be willing to the. So you and I, you and I are fans of as faithful an adaptation as possible. Yes, we are recognizing there are things that can change and have to change from one medium to another. Just nuts and bolts. That's how it works. Right. <clears throat> so the trick is not only to have the studio that gives you the opportunity and trusting the trust your audience but that the person who drives the project hasn't latched onto the wrong part of the story. <laughs> uh, yes, there is that. And this is like, okay, I'm going to tell this story with this thing. It's like, yeah, but you realize the story is about this. And then you yes, get, but I liked this part. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then you get Starsky and Hutch. Well, I, then you get, unfortunately, I think you can, you can get a lot of things. I think, uh, <laughs> Um, well, okay. Again, come back to V for Vendetta. Vendetta. Yeah. You know, it's the they they found a part of the story: um, freedom fighter versus a totalitarian government, and that's the part they ran with with a lot of the visuals from the story. And yet, fifty percent of the story's not there. No. And that 50% of the story that's gone reshapes the entire narrative. So it's like, okay, you, you've, you've made it, you've told a really good story that was clearly inspired by this with the name of the thing, but it's not the thing. Right. You know? And I think that that becomes, and that's just a risk you take with any of this stuff. I mean... Well, Sci-Fi Stop says, if you have a good story and you're willing to spend a reasonable amount of money and do the story justice, it will find an audience, provided they don't screw it up with bad visuals and, and the mechanics of it especially. And that's a good point. It is. The problem is, that's not how studios think. <laughs> and, and there's a reason they don't think that way, right? I mean, because again, it comes back to being a money-making uh, industry. Yeah. The goal is, is to turn a profit. 
And but I'm not going to turn a profit on your project if we fired you. Right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that too. Um, the good news is is that for a lot of horror fans, there's not. That's what you. We've talked a lot about science fiction and mm. and fantasy, and but on the horror side of things, um, we've reached the point now that there's pretty much there's there's very little that can't get an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think that the, the hard line is that some of the, some of the material that doesn't get it adapted uh, in American audiences anyway, uh, deals with younger characters. Right. Uh, and that becomes, that's, that's a, that's a social thing where children and pets, children and pets. And there are some really fantastic uh, horror novels where children are the main characters and you know, you look at something like when we got it, chapters one and two, the fact that we had actors that young mm-hmm. um, in the parts was a little unusual for American audiences. Yeah. Um, but you get into stuff like, I mean, there's uh, a Dan Simmons again, a Children of Night, or Carrie and Comfort, uh, his early horror stuff. Um, children are often targets, um, and that's you know you look at uh, John Saul, one of the John Saul's been putting out. I think John Saul's dead. Um, put out a ton of horror novels of varying degrees of quality. Yeah, um, but uh, there's stuff there that if children as targets. I mean, there's you you end up aging up the characters and then you lose the part that made that made you sit there and go but she's six how could you be trying to kill a second you know you especially if you're a parent you're like all your little nightmare alarms are going off and that's that's what makes the stuff really works and and, and grabs hold of you even if, whether it's a psychological thriller or if it's a straight up horror novel with a monster that that trigger uh to protect protect the kids um that american audience is really reactive right uh it's really tough to take to from book to film yeah sci-fi snob also points out the cost of special effects has dropped so it's not that much of a factor now if a project gets made or not. And he's curious what you think about that because it, it does it does factor into things. Like we were talking about with using the volume where mm-hmm. you can create all of this and, and it's there for the actors to interact with and it's just, you know, it's pixels on a screen. I, I, more so now than ever before that is not a giant factor mm-hmm. um i think i mean it, it still costs money right and and making this stuff looks good make you know making sure that it looks good still is not cheap yeah. but um it's not it's not a deal killer anymore it's not a you know well we just don't have the ability to do that no we do and i mean you can Even low budget asylum pictures and some of these other <laughs> things are Uwe putting Bull. out have got. I'm not well, going to say good special well, effects. It's most unknown, but there they, are fan but have, there are fan films that oh, that sure. have decent uh, visuals. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that you know the star, the Star Trek and the Star Wars fan films, especially. 
uh, you know, there are there are top top shelf effects in some of this stuff. I mean, for all that Alec Peters has has muddied the water for for fan films, Axanar, the, you know, prelude to Axanar on the visual side of things, the oh, effects were it looks fantastic. And right. you look at Star Trek Continues and Star Trek Phase Two and 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 some of these others where you know you have you have pre-scripted plugins now for for lightsabers and and mm-hmm. blaster bolts and that kind of thing and you, you see all of these different fan films there's one now called uh fulcrum it's a it's a star wars fan film focused on ahsoka mm-hmm. i haven't looked at i haven't watched it but the cosplayer she's been posting uh f- various photographs from the from the thing and from what I've seen, it looks really good. It looks interesting. I haven't watched it, but you know, it's it's we're able to do that on our home computers, and sure. you know that that stuff is there. Now, Justin makes a point. I can't care the slightest about films drowning in battle scenes and computer graphics that bring nothing new and don't progress the story. So, so interestingly enough, one of the films that popped up on some of these older lists I saw of, of on films of Ender's Game. Ah, yeah. Well, there is a movie, Avengers Game. It was filmed, and it's not a bad movie. Mm -hmm. But nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. Um, The problem with it, and really why, because films that nobody saw on first run, sometimes they get sequels because they become cult classics and they they build an audience afterwards. Um, Ender's Game is an example, I think, of a really earnest attempt to make the story and yet some of the things that made the story really work again we come back to how we make movies here mm-hmm. ender is too old in that film yeah and and that's that's not a slight on any of the actors i think the actors did a fine job although harrison ford might be sleeping during the movie it's hard to tell (laughs) he doesn't he's not the most engaged character in the film but one of the things that makes the novel work is the fact that ender is a what he's eight in the book isn't he he's a child i mean he's not a teenager he's not a young adult he's a child he's a genius he's a tactical genius he's incredibly intelligent but some of the more disturbing aspects of the novel involve you recognizing what the choices you make in war and the child the child army they're building it's very disturbing and i think that that's what makes it part of it what makes it powerful Um, and then oddly enough with orson scott card the message that we should try to understand the other and be kind, which, okay. Um, there's, there's a lot going on now. He's older in the later novels and there's strength with speaker of the dead. And I mean, there's, these are, um, there's some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it involved, it, it, it builds on that foundation of Ender Ender's experiences as a child creating the man he is as an adult right and why you know speaker for the dead and and the other books in the series um well they end up working yeah overall 
Yeah. The, the, the second and third books I'm on board with, I was not a huge fan about the, the later ones. Yep. Sci-Fi Snap says, you're right about Ender's Game. Uh, Justin says, why is Arrival interesting? Not because of the special effects, but because the story is great. Well, that, that's, that's, a key, that's a key component on all of these. I mean, if you're going to tell a story, whatever that story is, and we've talked about this before, story has to come first. Whether, mm -hmm. whether it's faithful adaptation or if it's something original, the story has to hold together, and it's got to do whatever it is that you're wanting to do with it, whether you're, doing you're entertaining people or you're trying to get them to think or you do whatever. It's the... It's it's that piece that has to be there. Everything else is fluff. Well, you know, the the fact is is that one of my one of my I guess polite insults that I, I generally use is boy that sure was pretty. Yeah. Uh and you know, I mean there's some there's some gorgeous looking movies that have no soul and some of them don't need it. Sometimes pretty is all you need, mm -hmm. but for science fiction, fantasy, and horror, um, spectacle is cool, and I like I like the ray guns and the spaceships as much as everybody else. Yeah, but I don't want I don't want a ray guns and spaceships version of Rendezvous with Rama. <laughs> I want six hours of awe yeah you know all right two and a half hours of awe are you gonna get if you get it on the big screen give me two and a half hours of awe yeah well we're not gonna go two and a half hours here um and and the audience says oh uh <laughs> but uh, we are gonna wrap it up there justin justin I'll, I'll read this one he says orson scott card told him he actually loathed the ender movie but due to his promotion he had to say otherwise Interesting Could point. Could be. All right. So tomorrow, a lot of people did not particularly yeah. enjoy the adaptations of their film of their stories in film. That that seems to <laughs> happen. Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, it <laughs> seems to happen a lot. All right. Coming up tomorrow. Let me uh, let me make a note here. We will have on live from the bunker Alma Alexander. She is an actual duchess. Uh, it is uh, oddly enough, and uh, we're going to be talking about her new book, The Second Star interesting premise on this you have uh, a, a, a spacecraft that was lost 200 years ago that's retrieved and the crew is still alive mm -hmm. and they've only aged a few years because of time dilation and all that stuff and they come home with more personalities than what they had when they left interesting yeah, so I'm in the middle of I, I just started reading it, so uh, it's yeah, it's a it, it it it's an interesting premise. So I'm I'm curious to see where it's going to go. But we're going to be talking to her uh, tomorrow, and then Perch will be in to talk comics on what is tomorrow? Tomorrow's Tuesday. Perch will be here Wednesday, and then we've got uh, Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday, and uh, we've got some changes coming up. On salacious crumbs, but uh, we're we're still putting some new things in place. We'll we'll make an announcement there, which means you all have to be connected to us on all of the social media, because that's where we're going to post all this stuff. And uh, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. Uh, we're 
crawling and creeping toward 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. We're at 146 over on Odyssey. We do invite you to connect with us over there. And we'll do this again next week here. Same bat time, same bat channel. We actually have a list of ideas of topics. So, so far it's working out. All right. That's Nothing is caught on fire. No one has had to go to the hospital yet. Not yes. Nobody's nobody's had to go yet. And and so I guess now we haven't increased the special effects budget yet, but we're in discussions. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thanks very much for being here. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, guys. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 